0: The title there indicates on the slide this is going to be a talk about self-denial, mortification, and the priesthood. I'm going to include in that celibacy. And I'm offering this before we start Lent, having had a uh, a bit of inside knowledge of what's not or not going to be covered in the talks before Lent from other sources. So hopefully this will help prepare you for Lent in particular. But it's also a vision of what should be part of a priest's entire existence as a priest. And maybe as an introductory comment, Catholics, we believe both feasting and fasting. So the talk like this is talking a lot about the the fasting. That's only part of our Christian living, even though that's what this talk is focusing on. So we've got an image here of a discipline. So this is a kind of whip. This is a uh, photo of the one used by Uh, Pope St. John uh, Paul II, so we only knew about that after he died, it's not the kind of thing you publicly talk about for fairly obvious reasons. This is an image of what's called a cillus, I'll explain that later, that doesn't puncture the flesh, doesn't damage you, but um, members of Opus Dei wear those for an hour a day, um, so they don't wear them continually but they just are uncomfortable. Um, So this is an image of something used by a pope of the 20th century, Um, actually 21st century included as well. I wanna start with an opening anecdote from my own experience. So as lots of people know, Opus Dei are in the church today, probably well known for the fact they practice what's called corporal mortification, bodily mortification. There was a phase in my spiritual journey when I was reading various saints, all these different saints all talking about mortification, about penance, um, and I was thinking, yeah, I got to do this. I got to do this. Um, I kind of got myself all, all hyped up and I went to my spiritual director. and My spiritual director was a priest of Opus Dei, so I knew he was doing these things himself. Um, so I, I laid out to him. This saint had read saying this. This saint had read saying that. And you know, um, I'm ready for this. What, what do I need to do now? And he listened to me very carefully. And at the end of it all, he said, "The mortification you need to do is you need to go to bed on time." Um, which you know made me feel about that big. Um, <laughs> now I give you that anecdote to indicate what is mortification about primarily it's not about these dramatic visual things or visually dramatic things the heart of mortification is something else Um, so that's what I want to kind of start by unpacking Um, okay so what is mortification two images here the Lord crucified the Lord risen so mortification is about this process of being remade Dying and rising and being conformed to the image of the Son. How do we unpack that a bit more? Well, thinking scripturally, scripture talks about the old man. This is particularly the language of Saint Paul. The old man being the Adam, the man of sin, the man of so he talked about the old man, the man of flesh, of sin, of death, sinful passions working in the members bearing fruit unto death there's something in me that's wrong. The scripture uses this term, the old man. And he needs to be put to death, that old man. So St. Paul uses the word mortified. So to read some of these passages, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the old nature with its desires and passions. Elsewhere, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Our old man is crucified with him that the new man might rise again. So going to bed at 10 o'clock, this is part of the old man having to die. Those are quotes from St. Paul, the Lord Jesus, he talks about a much more direct image of our union with him, that we must carry our cross if we're to follow him. And where it's all heading well, St. Paul, if he talks about the old man, he talks about the new man to the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And that's where we have to be heading. Okay, so all of that's kind of an intro. What do we mean by mortification? Something in me that has to die, because there's something wrong in me. And that there's a way by being united to the Lord on the cross, um, a pathway for the new man to come about. Okay, so I want to start here by making a distinction that you may have read from different saints between active and passive mortification. So active mortification is stuff I do, I choose to do, I kind of go out to do. Um, So if I choose that I will... um, well, choose to fast. That's an active thing I have decided. Um, Passive mortification is all the things in life that come at me, the sufferings, the pains, the difficulties that I don't choose. I can choose how I'm going to engage with them. Am I going to accept them? Am I going to carry them patiently? Am I going to take them up with love? Or am I going to grumble? Am I going to complain? Am I just going to not be the man united to the cross? Those are passive. Now, the passive, all those things, they're going to come to me anyway. They can either be part of my pathway to glory, part of my pathway to being remade, or they can just be kind of useless. One of the important reasons why we need to do active mortification, why we have to do things where we are stepping out and looking for mortification, looking for self-denial, is so that I foster within myself a disposition and attitude whereby I'm ready, I'm willing to accept suffering. So that when all those inconveniences come my way, I've just already got a mindset where I'm able to accept suffering. So when my brother needs me to do something for him that is going to be a suffering, a difficulty, an inconvenience for me, because I've already disposed myself to be ready to take up the extra, take up suffering, it's easier for me to do so. So this distinction, active and passive mortification, Both can serve us as being part of self-denial, part of penance, um, but they're they're different. Okay, another distinction, to think, what is it within me that needs putting to death? So I said the old man, well, what's what's in there that needs putting to death, Um, and the tradition distinguishes the will, the imagination, and the flesh. These these three things, Um, the concupiscence of the eyes, the concupiscence of the flesh, uh, and the pride of life. Um, The will, the imagination, and the flesh. Each of these in different ways, and they are quite different, need to be put to death, remade, refashioned. I'm going to focus most on the will, the flesh is, I've said there, a circumstance of the will. So my attraction, my wills being hooked on pleasures of the flesh is kind of a, a circumstance of the will. But the saints, the tradition, scripture kind of specifies these three things. So at the risk of stating the obvious, what's wrong with my will? I've said there. My will is typically habituated to self-seeking. So obviously my will isn't inherently a problem. It's part of what I am. But all too often I'm selfish. I'm habituated in selfishness. I come into a situation and I want my way. I want my favorite this, that, and the other in the refectory. I want my way in the choice of what we're going to do. Me, me, me. My will. My will needs to be changed, mortified, put to death. Um. Okay, door closed. Okay, with me so far. The will, there's a problem in the will, needs to be put to death selfishness in different forms so what does it mean to mortify my will well in some sense to put it to death that my will has some trajectory something it's focused on i want my way i'm gonna this is i need to correct that kill that mortify that the word mortification means comes from the word Latin for death how do i do that well i do that very simply by saying no To my will and learning to habituate myself to say no to myself and to kind of be comfortable with that, to not have my will say, you know, react in horror. So here's a a simple visual image a choice plan A or plan B. So it's saying no to what my will is set upon. So it doesn't need to be something dramatic and painful and horrible, but just I was going to go down A. Well, just to habituate myself to not getting my own way, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to choose B. Something of that is the pattern of all mortification of the will. I choose to do the opposite of what I would have done. Okay, three examples here. Um, These are taken from different examples. This is not a very Ohio example because it's public transport. Um, but it, when some of my formation with Opus Day was via London, um, that's a picture of the London underground. A woman there who is standing on the underground rather than sitting down. So that is a small mortification. Journey might take tw- 10 minutes. Um, you could choose to stand rather than sit down. You get there in the same amount of time, Uh, it's not something dramatic, but a little thing by which you have chosen to say no to yourself. In our setting we maybe could take something similar, a situation where I could sit now or I could stay standing. Just a small thing where I am detaching myself, mortifying myself from something I was going to do in order to mortify my will. Different image. Here we have a lady with a lot of shoes, um, not fussing over a choice, whether it's what shoes to wear this morning, what tie to wear, that's obviously not much of an issue for most of us in the seminary, what coat. We have lots of little choices and it's possible and sometimes in simplicity of life when we have less choices to make a bigger deal out of those small choices, to just force ourselves to make choices quickly, simply, without an attachment in them. Um, I'll come back to this example later, but one of the examples I've sought to foster in myself over the years is um, menus and choices of food. You all know I like my food a lot. This is a big thing for me. Um, I can choose to not spend a long time thinking what what I'm going to eat. So there are three items, ten items, two items to choose from, to just make a, a rapid choice. So I'm not making a big deal in order to free my will, in order to mortify my will. Okay, then apple or orange, said here, reverse my personal preference especially with others and in practice when I'm alone. So maybe I want the apple and so therefore I'll just deliberately do the opposite and have the orange. Still fruit, still healthy, it's not a big reversal, if I'm doing that when I'm alone I'm kind of detaching myself from my way of doing things, my preference. And then when I'm with others, and there's only one apple left, I can have a, it'll be easier for me to be free to let somebody else have it if it's what they want. So what's unifying these examples? They're all examples where I'm saying no to what my will is set upon. So if you're wanting to grow in mortification, something that your will is set upon to just choose the opposite. Now, an overarching, why do we do all this? So saying no to self to be free to say yes to others' needs. So, There's an image of Mother Teresa feeding the poor. You're only going to have that inner freedom to be thinking about other people's needs if you don't have a will that's set on yourself, if you don't have a will that's set upon doing what you want and satisfying your needs only a mortified will is free to love others. And that mortification, you you do meet people, you meet lots of people who kind of just spontaneously have a type of mortification that gives them that freedom with charity. But if it's not spontaneous in us, we can help it grow by this methodology of mortification. Okay, so all of that mortifying the will. Um, mortifying the flesh, second category. Um, so I've said that's in one sense just a circumstance of the will. What is my will set upon? Well, when we use this word flesh, we mean that the pleasures of the flesh, uh, two categories, um, food and sex, only an image of one of those for obvious reasons. Um, to pleasures of sense. So what holds them together is that they're both about pleasure, pleasure of sense. And my flesh is disposed to getting its own way. So I need to habituate itself to have this freedom to not get its own way. In food, when I fast, when I deny myself, I am freeing my flesh from that attraction, that's addiction, to be free to, to look to other things, including well. Okay, and how we do that is self-denial. So all the things in Lent in particular that we tend to focus on, self-denial is the methodology. Okay, so some examples. Self-denial... And mortify my flesh. So an image there of the Lord in the desert, forty days he fasted and prayed um, So in Lent we think of the things we give up um, you know Ash Wednesday the, the three tools, the three weapons of this season as the liturgy calls them uh, prayer fasting and almsgiving. We need this fasting, this union with the Lord in the desert to mortify our flesh. Okay, repeat the example I said earlier, a menu. Very small little mortification, but not to choose your own thing. Not spending a long time in restaurants over a menu choice. Not having your favorite beer. Now, Those of us on Exodus 90 are not having any beer at the moment. Um, But when you are going to have a beer, You can still choose, is it going to be my favourite? Does it have to be my favourite? Can I free myself from attachment? By still having a beer I'm going to enjoy, but with a little detachment, by not having the favourite one, or not looking too hard at how many choices there are available. So again, mortification doesn't need to be the most dramatic. To be mortified, it needs to be something of a pattern of saying no to what I was going to do, so that I have a freedom in all things. Another example, not putting salt or pepper on your food. It's sometimes, not every time, variety keeps dependence real. So maybe you never put salt on your food, in which case this isn't gonna be much of an example. But if you're somebody who does sometimes season your food, maybe with one of the sauces on our table, maybe with salt, maybe with pepper, if you just say, well, I'm gonna always not do that, it'll reach a stage where it kind of no longer has become a penance. The variety of maybe this meal I will, maybe this will I won't, Gives you the capacity that those occasions when you choose not to, you sense the lack of it. Those of you who've been here a while will have heard um, Father Brennan speak, uh, quote that the the saying of the saints, to never leave the meal table unmortified. That every meal, that there should be something that I have mortified myself. So it might be that I choose not to put salt on my food today. Or it might be that I choose to sit next to him rather than next to him. Or it might be that I've got this witty comment I'm going to make and I just swallow it. Or it might be in reverse, that I was just going to comfortably sit there saying nothing and I push myself to, to say something. Something whereby my will... My comfort-seeking would have chosen this, and I choose the opposite, to never leave the meal table unmortified. Which as I've described, that doesn't mean you've made the entire meal miserable, but there's just some element each meal, each occasion, where we've said no to ourselves. Cold showers. So this is um, practice in Exodus 90. Uh, A very common practice in Opus Dei, um, it fits the model of Opus Dei's model of mortification in that you were going to have a shower anyway, it's not going to take more time or less time, you've just changed the temperature and the comfort. Um, So when you can do mortifications that don't kind of inconvenience, distract the day, take you away from your Tasks, your duties, your loving. That's a, a great way to do mortification. So, cold showers are an example in that regard. Okay, I've already used the example, um, the discipline as used by Pope St. John Paul II, the psyllips uh, used by members of Opus Dei. To repeat, the psyllips doesn't break the flesh, it doesn't, despite what it might look there, it's just uncomfortable. But for an hour a day, they put this on to do something physically uncomfortable, um, and I suppose it to, to be a step beyond just not putting salt on your food. A word here about the dangers of dramatic penances. So pride, a loss of sense of proportion, um, So your life should have both rest and work, both pleasure and denial, feasting and fasting. We need balance, order. Um, I said Jesus both feasted and fasted. So you need to take this to your spiritual director. So pride that I'm doing Exodus 90. I'm taking cold showers. I'm much better than those other seminarians. and I'm, I'm the only priest doing Exodus 90, you know. Uh, but I've also made sure everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, how do we temper our pride? Well, one way is making sure we're checking that with our spiritual director. So if you are doing um, extra penances, if you are changing your penances, to make sure you're telling your spiritual director that, and discussing with him, is my pride going to get in the way of the good I'm hoping to achieve here you know to stay in spiritual direction um I've never seen them get out a checklist but there are a list of kind of questions that if I don't raise something in conversation I know I'm going to be asked and almost always I'll be asked what mortifications are you doing that this just should be a routine part of life But conversely, am I overdoing it? Or am I overdoing it in a way that's prideful? Take it to my spiritual director. Am I doing penance in a way that is just making me grumpy, disagreeable, um, sucks all of the joy out of my life because of how I'm practicing it? Then my spiritual director needs to help me shift my focus. So there should be a joy that comes with doing self-denial. You know, when we do something and we know, hey, I'm doing something good now. Hey, I'm doing something right now. There's just a joy of that sense of doing something right. When we do something loving even more, to do it out of love, we have that union with the Lord. We have that companionship, brothership with others. Love, joy, penance, all these should be just going together. And if my penance is just hard work, discipline, forcing myself, and there isn't love and there isn't joy, then there's something seriously askew. And so if you're going to be doing dramatic penances, that going askew is going to be all the worse. So that's why you need to take this to your spiritual director. Shifting focus now, the priesthood and mortification. So an image there of your parish, potentially your future parish. What are you doing as a priest? You should be living the cross for your parishioners. That's part of what you're supposed to be doing as a priest. Uh, So I gave you a sheet of paper. Let's turn to that. Um, So when I cover some of these things in... Moral theology, the first section there you can see imposing penances in confession. That's part of what moral theology covers. We won't look at that here. But down to the section where it says, doing their penance yourself. There's a quote there from St. John Vianney, our patron of Paris priests. He says, I only impose a small penance on those who confess their sins properly. The rest I perform in their place. Now, was that just some weird, excessive thing that he did, or is it a model for the rest of us? Well, the first pope of the 21st century uh, says, Pope Benedict, St. John Vianney kept a tight rein on his body with vigils and fasts, nor did he avoid any self-mortification for the good of the souls in his care, and as a help to expiating the many sins he heard in confession. To a priestly confere, he explained, I will tell you my recipe. I give sinners a small penance and the rest I do in their place. Aside from the actual penances which the curé of ours practiced, the core of his teaching remains valid for each of us. Souls have to be won at the price of Jesus' own blood and a priest cannot devote himself to their salvation if he refuses to share personally in the precious cost of redemption. Those are pretty tough words. Now, there's a caricature that says, well, mortification and penance and fasting, that was all the old church. That was what the medievals did. When we look at saints of the last 100 years, we find uh, popes of the last 100 years in particular, we find them all still talking about But Benedict there indicates the actual penances of the Curie dars. Well, yes, we might look at some of his particular things, like the amount of the form of his fasting. You know, he had just a glass of water and moldy potatoes. Um, The details of how he practiced penance, we don't need to copy. Um, You know, saints, the the phrase of St. Francis de Sales, sometimes saints are more to be admired than imitated. There are many details of the Curie d'Ar's life that are to be admired, not imitated. But Pope Benedict here is saying nonetheless, the core of his teaching remains valid. Souls have to be won at the price of Jesus' blood, and a priest has to share in that. Remember when I was in seminary, one of my Seminarian friends, um, Reddick, the Curie das just had a glass of water and moldy potatoes, and we didn't have any moldy potatoes um, in the seminary, so he'd resolved he would just have uh, a glass of milk a day um, and biscuits, because uh, that's what he had available. Um, it didn't last a week. <laughs> um, a bit too keen to copy, to imitate what should have been admired and not not copied. And the Curie does later in his life, even as he was still doing what we would regard extreme penances, talks about um, the, the enthusiasm of his youth in some of those things. Um, it's good that you can have a youth that that's the thing you have to repent of rather than uh, other things. Um, But the basic point, the core of his teaching remains valid, even if some aspects of how he lived it were particular to him. Okay, over the page. So I said, some 20th century priestly penances proposed by the papal magisterium. So fasting, vigils, all through the night, sleeping on the floor, castigating the body. All of those are quoted from uh, Pope John XXIII. So um, he came out with an encyclical. I can't remember the exact anniversary of um, whether it was his death or birth of, of St. John Um There's a number of paragraphs there quoting uh, referring to that. So just reading the lines in bold, he says, The priest who must reproduce the image of Christ in himself, must become a pleasing sacrifice. Christ Jesus immolates himself, his minister must immolate himself along with him. Just as Jesus expiates the sins of men, so too the priest must tread the lofty path of Christian asceticism to bring about his own purification and that of his neighbors. Paragraph 72, let's skip down to there. Almost everyone knows his answer to the priest who complained to him about that his apostolic zeal was bearing no fruit. You have offered humble prayers to God. You have wept, you have groaned, you have sighed. Have you added fasts, vigils, sleeping on the floor, castigation of your body? Until you have done all these, do not think you have tried everything. So vigils is when someone is awake through the night, praying, or maybe a part of the night, choosing to wake and pray. Sleeping on the floor. So it's a common practice in Opus Day to have one night of the week where they sleep on the floor. Um, I think they don't do that in places where the floor is stone, um, but if you've got a carpeted floor you're kind of, it's a bit more workable. But obviously that's got to be balanced against the question, or related in order, the work you've got to do the next day. Is my capacity to function normally and work the next day going to be just utterly thrown out if I sleep on the floor? But that is a form of mortification we can do. To repeat the point, these are examples from our era, not from some ancient medieval um, monk. Okay, my last example is celibacy. For us as priests, future priests, your celibacy is part of your penance, part of your mortification. That you are giving your own body in self denial, in union with the cross. If you as a priest are to do penance for your people, the most clear sign and example of that is your own celibacy. This is part of why when our parishioners see us, see some priests going to very expensive restaurants, living very comfortable lifestyles, their celibacy just seems utterly incongruous with that. It doesn't fit together documents of the church when they talk about celibacy talk about it in the context of self-denial and one of the risks for us um, we've had the last few decades many beautiful inspiring images of celibacy the priest sharing in christ's role as the bridegroom of his bride the church i can't have a wife because i already have a wife i have a marriage to the church beautiful imagery doesn't really explain immediately why it involves suffering. Um, And it's possible with a number of the images of celibacy we use that are so positive, they kind of don't also acknowledge or integrate the difficulty of celibacy. The difficulty part of celibacy takes us to the cross. The difficulty part of celibacy actually is integral to what we're doing at the altar as the priest say at your ordination, model yourself on the mystery of the cross. I do that at the altar when I offer the sacrifice of the cross. I do it in my own life as a priest, in my mortification, in my self-denial, that I'm bringing to the altar, that I'm placing on the pattern as part of what I'm offering. So summarizing all of that, what have I said? Mortification, what is it? It's this dying of the old man that the new man might rise. That there's active mortification and there's passive mortification. Passive, I just accept in patience, in love, what comes to me. Active, things I step out to choose to do. I need to mortify my will. I need to mortify my flesh. Not talked about the imagination, but that too needs to be mortified. And all of this in particular as a priest is part of what I'm doing for my people in living the cross.